Yeah, excuse me, I was not looking for an escape, a way out. I just had to go get my stand. <laughs> uh, I'm going to just kind of break this thing up just a little bit. I've got a little pretty lengthy uh, scripture reading, so I'm going to go ahead and read the scripture, and then we'll uh, break for prayer. Uh, our lesson this morning, I'm just going to kind of base it off of a, just a little piece of this uh, story that comes out of the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, the 24th chapter, and probably I know and understand that we uh, probably just a couple of months ago came out of the Old Testament stories, and that was our series, uh, so excuse me for going back to that, but I just really wanted to grab this little uh, piece of scripture uh, out of this story that uh, uh, is in 1 Samuel chapter 24. So I'm going to read the first 13 verses, and then we'll have our uh, family prayer. Uh, the Bible says, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, this is 1 Samuel 24, he, said, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in the front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it still seemed good to you. And then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. And so David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked, behold... Uh, Look behind him, behold, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or, re or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. That reading is 1 Samuel, the 24th chapter, and the first 13 verses. And I'm going to talk about that just a little bit, a little bit from that passage here in just a few minutes. Before we do, we want to uh, go to our God in prayer. Uh, the focus of our prayer uh, this week, really, uh, we want to turn our attention to uh, Going back to school time, that's really what this time is for most of us. We've got a lot of young families and a lot of kids that are going to be going back to school tomorrow, and uh, some have already started back to school. 
We've also in our church family got some teachers as well that are going to be starting up tomorrow and uh, getting started and instructing our children. And uh, that's just really just such a special, special occupation. Uh, it's really a very important occupation in our world and our society that we have teachers that really care for our children and that that's a really important thing to educate our children today. Uh, I know that uh, Megan's going to be going back to teaching, and then we've also got April, who's a teacher. I think Connie teaches some, at least uh, uh, a fill-in role. And there may be others as well that I'm not really uh, thinking about. And then we've just also got a number of children in our church family that are going to be going back to school. And so we want to really want to think about them and offer our prayers for them. And so this morning, if you would like, uh, if there's just a... Uh, a child, uh, a school-aged child that you feel really close to and you want to go behind them and stand and lay hands on them, or one of our teachers as well, we invite you to do that this morning, and we're going to do that while we pray together. And so we really want to acknowledge our uh, teachers and also our children that are going back to school in our prayer this morning. So let's bow together in prayer. Let's, let's go ahead and, and once again, if you want to lay hands on somebody, that's fine, do so. Uh, but we really want to go to our God in prayer. Father God, we come in Jesus' name this morning. Uh, Father, we come and we really just really want to lift you up. Uh, just because of who you are, you are our God, you are our Heavenly Father. Father, we love you, Father. We praise you, we adore you, we magnify your holy name. Father, you are our creator, our maker, and you are the Father of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we always, dear God, want to keep before us your great and your matchless name. Glorify you and magnify you for who you are. Father, we just want to thank you today for giving us this time together of worship and praise, dear Lord. We thank you, God, for bringing us together as a family, dear Father, so that we can worship together, so that we can pray together in this way. And we appreciate so greatly those times that we are together. Father God, this morning we really want to lay before you those, dear God, who are going back to school, Father. We've got so many students, dear Father, so many young children in our church family that we really want to pray for. Father God, as they start back to school, we pray that you would bless them in a very special way. Dear God, we just pray, dear Lord, that uh, you would be with them. We pray, dear God, that you would be with them in the classrooms, dear Father. We pray, Father, that they might be attentive, dear Lord, that they might learn, that they might grow, Father. We just pray, God, that uh, the information that is shared, Father, that they would do well to receive it, dear God, and that they would do well, Father. We know so many of the parents really so much want their children to do well, Father, to, uh, to get good grades, Father. We just pray, dear God, that you would bless them in this way, dear Lord. Father, we just also pray that you would watch over them and protect them, dear God. Father, we know, dear Lord, that this is a fallen world in which we live, dear Father, and so many things are going on in the schools, dear Lord. And so we just ask, dear God, that you would watch over our children, that you would protect them, dear God, and that you would be with them, dear God, as they go to school each and every day. Father, we also, dear God, have some teachers among our church family, dear God, and we just pray for them as well. We pray that you would bless them, dear God. We just pray, dear God, that you would be with them in those classrooms. Help them, dear God, to teach our children well, dear Lord. We pray, dear God, that they would have care, dear God, and that they would uh, 
uh, really focus on, dear, dear God, teaching the children in a way, dear Lord, that would help them to grow up to be good citizens, good, good students, dear Lord. And so we just pray for those teachers in our church family as well. Give them patience, dear God. Uh, just pray, dear God, that you would help them to persevere throughout the school year. Once again, dear Lord, we know that so much is happening in the schools these days. And so, dear Lord, they need our prayers, dear God, and they need you to watch over them and keep them as well. And so, God, we just ask, dear Lord, that you would just continue to bless them and keep them, be with the teachers, be with the students throughout this school year. And we pray that they would have a blessed year, dear God, and dear Father, that they would be, uh, be the children and the teachers that we, you would have them to be. Now, Father, as we're about to go into our teaching series, we just pray, dear Lord, that you would be with me, dear Lord. Uh, we just ask, dear God, that you would uh, uh, help me to remember well the things that I've studied. And we just pray, dear God, that the lesson will be uplifting and edifying and encouraging to everyone that's here today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, certainly, uh, we read this uh, account from 1 Samuel, the 24th chapter, and certainly, I'm sure that by now, most of us are probably familiar with uh, at least the background of that story. Uh, I actually think that uh, at least one of our teachers probably used this story during, during the course of our Old Testament series. Just a little brief uh, wrap-up here. Uh, it takes place during the time when, of course, Saul was king over Israel. And, of course, it's during the time that he had kind of grown rebellious against God, and as a result of that, uh, he's grown jealous and mean-spirited against, against David. And he's made the decision that, you know what, uh, David's against me, and I'm going to kill him. I need to get rid of him. And so now uh, David and his men, these 600 men and their families that uh, have joined themselves to David, they're just kind of constantly on the run from Saul, just trying to stay one step ahead of King Saul, trying to avoid him. And they've really just become fugitives within the nation of Israel. Now in this chapter, David and his men are holed up in the cave, and it just so happens that Saul comes into that same cave to relieve himself. Uh, David's men, of course, try to convince him that the Lord has placed this opportunity in front of him to take Saul's life and, in effect, rid himself of his enemy. But instead, David just sneaks up behind Saul and cuts off just a corner of his robe. Well, after Saul leaves the cave, David calls out to him, and he shows him the piece of the robe that he's cut off. And he tells Saul that, you know what, I could have killed you. I had the opportunity to take your life, but I didn't because of who you are. Because, as David says, you are the Lord's anointed, because God has chosen you to be the first king over the nation of Israel. He appealed to Saul that, you know, saying, you wanted to kill me, even though I've done you no harm whatsoever at all, and in spite of that, I spared your life, because it was very simply the right thing to do. Well, then in verse 13 of this little story, uh, David quotes this ancient proverb, which says very simply, out of the wicked comes wickedness. And it's out of that little proverb that I really wanted to share or just talk for just a few minutes. I'm going to be kind of brief, but I really want to talk about it for just a few minutes. First of all, 
what is a proverb? You know, David says, there's this proverb of the ancients, this ancient proverb. Well, what is a proverb? We've got a whole uh, book of the Old Testament called Proverbs. What are proverbs? Well, basically a proverb is just a short, pithy saying that expresses a basic truth or a practical precept. Once again, a short, pithy saying that expresses a basic truth or a practical precept. Now, David says that this was an ancient or an old proverb. In other words, this is what was uh, a basic truth from long ago. This is what uh, men long time ago said. You know, my mother used to often use the phrase, uh, as old folks used to say, she said, as old folks used to say, and she would follow it with some proverb or adage. Like she would say something like, old folks used to say, the, uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the trees, or old folks used to say that you can't judge a book by its cover. And essentially, that's kind of what David was saying uh, in this little thing here. Old folks used to say, out of the wicked comes wickedness. And what David was saying in that is that bad people do bad things. That's what he was saying. Bad people do bad things. Evil people do evil things. Uh, immoral people act immorally. That was a basic truth long ago that David was expressing to Saul. And you know, really when we think about it, that's still a truth today. Because you know, really Proverbs really don't change. Those adages don't change. Those basic precepts, they just don't change. And so that's really still a basic truth today. For instance, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, a man by the name of Connor Betts just randomly shot and killed nine people in a Dayton, Ohio entertainment district. Now, it was revealed a couple of days later by several of his high school classmates. They said that, you know what, uh, he's always been a bad individual. That's always been his character. He has a history like that. They said that he threatened violence against other students when he was in school. He was suspended for putting out a hit list and a rape list targeting certain of his classmates. They said that most people were afraid of him and they avoided him at all costs. And then all of that history kind of culminated and this man by the name of Connor Betts killing nine innocent people. Because as the proverb says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. Now, we need to also understand about proverbs is that, uh, you know, they are a basic or a general truth. Uh, in other words, what I'm saying is that, you know what, uh, they're applicable, generally speaking. Generally speaking, in other words, most of the time, they're going to hold true. 99.9% of the time, a proverb is going to hold true. And we need to understand also that that 0.1% of the time that it doesn't hold up, it doesn't negate the basic truth of that proverb. For example, even bad people can sometimes do good things. But once again, that does not negate the truth of the proverb that out of the wicked comes wickedness. You know, one of Connor Betts' classmates said, you know, I've known him since preschool, and the Connor Betts that I know was a nice guy. He was a good guy. He was a good person. 
but once again, doesn't negate the truth of the proverb. So evidently, there was at least one person who he treated kindly, who he was nice to. You know, and Jesus said that even sinners love those who love them and do good to those who do, do good to them. But once again, this doesn't negate the truth of the proverb which says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. Once again, even bad people can sometimes have a good day. Now, lest we begin, begin to say that this is just some isolated Old Testament verse or Old Testament proverb that applied only to King Saul as David was using, notice what Jesus says in Luke 6, 43 through 40, 45. Jesus says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Jesus said a bad tree does not bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So in this uh, verse that Jesus was quoting here, Jesus says that just as we can expect the thorn bush to produce thorns, which are going to uh, produce cuts and scrapes and scratches, which will poke us and cause us to bleed and hurt, he said that we should expect that evil people will produce evil because of an evil heart. It's kind of a heart issue. It's what's in the heart that produces evil in the things that we do and the things that we say. Now, I think it's also important for us to note that even Jesus distinguished uh, good people from evil people in that passage. But also, I think that we need to understand here that Jesus also said that there is only one who is good, and he was talking about God alone. Paul told us in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul said that there is none righteous, no, not one. So what he's saying there is that, you know what, none of us is perfect. None of us is perfect. But, you know, we also need to understand that Jesus himself even distinguished between good people and evil people. We learn from observation and we learn from experience that there are some bad people in this world. And we're seeing that more and more in the world that we're living in. We're seeing more and more mass shootings. We're seeing it in El Paso, Texas. We're seeing it in Dayton, Ohio. We're seeing it in Florida. And we're seeing it all across our country. Bad people, evil people doing evil things. Proverbs 4, chapter uh, Proverbs chapter 4 says, Do not enter into the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. He says, For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Once again, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. I wasn't here last week, <clears throat> but I do know that some members of our church family stood before us this 
last week, and they gave their testimonies about how God has worked in their lives. And, you know, all of us have some testimony one way or the other. We all have uh, something to say about how God has or perhaps maybe has not worked in our lives in one way or the other. I've done a lot of things in my own life that I'm not proud of. Matter of fact, I'm even ashamed of that I wouldn't even talk about in an assembly like this. I've been involved in drugs before. Free-based cocaine. There was a time in my life when I, I got high every day. Every day. I've sold pot, I've grown pot, all of that. That was a part of my life. There have been times of partying and drunkenness in my life. There's been time in my life when I would steal from other people. There have been times of fornication in my life. There have been things in my life that I'm just ashamed to speak of that I would not speak of in an assembly like this. There was just a time in a life when I was just not a very good person. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters in Christ. God always has the last word. And how a person starts out is not necessarily how he'll finish in life. Because God is able to change people. And he's able to turn lives around. God is able to do that, and we know that. Scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, he said, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, Paul says, you know, you Ephesians, y'all were not very good people at one time. There was a time in your life when, you know what, you were living and walking in wickedness, in evil. Then he says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. In other words, that was not the last word in their life. Even though they lived in wickedness and idolatry and were doing things that were totally against God, that was not the last word because God has the last word. God has the last say. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He said, And such were some of you. 
He says some of you practiced these things. Some of you walked in these things. These were a part of your lifestyle. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. In other words, you were set apart. You were made holy. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so what we need to understand today is that God has the last word. Yes, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. Evil people do evil things. But you know what? Because of what Jesus Christ has done at Calvary's cross, because of the work of God, evil people don't have to stay evil. Wicked people don't have to stay wicked. How you start out in life is not the way you have to finish in life because of what God says. These passages tell us that by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, there is cleansing, there is healing, and there is transformation because of the work of Jesus Christ at Calvary's cross. People don't have to live in wickedness all of their lives and immorality all of their lives because God can change people and God does change people. Finally this morning, you are here, you are in Christ, and maybe you feel like growth and development and healing are coming along too slowly. Maybe you feel like you've become stagnant in your Christian life. Then I urge you to stay the course, stay with Jesus, continue to pray, continue to study and meditate upon the Word of God, continue to surround yourself with others who are striving for Christ-likeness. And you know, that's really, we've talked about grow groups this morning, that's really what grow groups is all about, getting together and getting around people who are striving for the same thing, who are trying to grow in the same direction, trying to grow in Christ-likeness, trying to grow to be closer to our Lord Jesus Christ. But don't give up on becoming the person that God would have you to be. In Philippians chapter 2 and 13, Paul said, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, Paul says God is working in you through his spirit, giving you both the desire for change, the desire for growth, and also giving you the power to ability to see it through. God wants you to grow into Christ's likeness. He wants you to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. And then this passage in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40 that I just happened to be reading, and I thought, you know, that's an interesting passage because Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, he says he will be like his teacher. He's going to be like his teacher. When is that going to happen? Jesus said, when he's fully trained. You know, we're all in training we're all in this growth process. We're all in this developmental process where we're trying to be more, become more like our teacher, more like our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I urge you this morning not to give up, to continue to be, strive to be more and more like Jesus. I really thought it was appropriate, I thought it would be appropriate this morning to just kind of offer an invitation. And so I think... I know we've got a baptism coming up, but I think that we can have a, a song right now, and perhaps if you're here this morning and you feel like your growth may be a little stagnated, or maybe perhaps you're not really walking the way you should walk, maybe you feel like you are one of those people like the Ephesians or like the Corinthians, and you need change in your life. God is able to change people, and God is able to grow you into what he would have you to be. 
And so I'll be out front here. I'm going to ask maybe Terry to come and stand out front with me. Bruce, if you'll go to the back, if you'd like to uh, have prayer. Perhaps if you'd like to be baptized into Jesus Christ, we've got the water run already, and there's already going to be one baptism, and we invite you to be baptized into Jesus Christ as well. So once you stand, we're going to sing this song and invite you to come.